All right, John chapter 14 will be our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, John the 14th chapter, starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to hit the ground running here this morning from John chapter 14, starting in the opening verse there in that chapter. Jesus says to his apostles, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I mean, this is one of the absolute go-to passages whenever we have any conversations about heaven. Oftentimes it is referred to at a funeral when, whenever one has died and we want to console whoever is grieving in the process about there is something far greater on the horizon and it is heaven. And we like to go to John chapter 14 about this. Or maybe at other times we might go to extremely symbolic passages in the book of Revelation where it, where it is describing this, this incredible place called the New Jerusalem, God's city. And the kind of imagery that it uses is streets made of golden glass, right? About jasper walls, about this entire city that is constructed with pure, solid gold. And as a result of this, we, you know, there's just so much about heaven that is abstract and that is just so mysterious to us. I mean, we have so many questions about heaven. I mean, for instance, what is the universal language of heaven going to be? I mean, have you ever considered that before? I mean, we might subconsciously assume it's going to be English. And yet, any time that I look at a world map or I read a history book, I see just really how small of a blip on the radar we really are in the course of history and of this earth. Well, there have been others who have speculated, well, well, where specifically is heaven geographically located in this world? You know, a long time ago, I heard about these Russian cosmonauts who had actually went looking for heaven, had gone up into space as far up into the heavens as they possibly could go. And they concluded, we went as far up into the heavens as we could, and we didn't see any pearly gates, we didn't see any God on a throne anywhere, and so therefore heaven just simply does not exist, they had said. I think the question that a lot of us has wondered many times throughout our lives is, will we be able to recognize our loved ones in heaven? I mean, will we be able to just walk up to, to Moses or to King David or to Elijah or to you know Peter or to the Apostle Paul and just get to meet these guys somehow in heaven. I've heard others who have asked, well, isn't heaven going to be a boring place eventually? Because isn't heaven just, just, just you know, one never-ending church service? Where it's like we might you know, say to God, God, we have sung blessed assurance 16 times in the last nine hours. We are running out of songs that we can sing to you. Is that what heaven is going to be like? You know, understandably, we have all kinds of mental concepts about heaven as well. Mental snapshots that we might subconsciously have about what heaven is going to be like. If you've seen a lot of um, commercials on television, 
you might have this inadvertent image in your mind about heaven, about when we all die, are we going to become these, these you know, fat little angel babies who, who spend eternity sitting on clouds and who like to play and to pluck harps forever and ever and ever? Is that what heaven is going to be like? If you ask others in this American culture about what heaven's going to be like, their mental image might be something like driving really expensive sport cars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris down streets of 24 karat gold. I think one of the prevailing mental snapshots I have had about heaven at an earlier time in my life, I just always had visualized or had always visualized being in this massive lobby at some kind of a swanky resort, like at Trump Tower, where, where you know everybody has a penthouse suite overlooking heaven to to you know some degree. I don't know precisely when this one had ever started but there are a million and six jokes out there and every one of them have who saint peter at the pearly gates and it's peter's responsibility to either say yes you can come on into heaven or nope you cannot come into heaven enjoy eternity down there you know <laughs> i mean i don't you know evidently saint peter is a bouncer at club heaven i mean i don't i don't know where that one came from and yet it's something that we hear all the time. And yet I would say really one of the main and primary thoughts that there is about heaven in this world is that whenever anybody seems to die, what we hear much of the time is that, well, everybody goes to heaven when they die. We hear phrases like, well, God bless his heart. Now he is looking down on me from heaven because he is now in heaven. We, you know, I have never once heard anybody say, God bless his heart, he is looking up at us now. I mean, no, it, you know, it's always he is looking down on us because after all, everybody is going to go to heaven. Even if he was a cocaine crack lord who gunned down his whole family and got gunned down by the cops, doesn't matter. R.I.P. Everybody is going straight to heaven. He's looking down on us now. I mean, that is a, um, another concept that there is about heaven in this world. And yet, something else that I have observed many times before in the church in the past is that I have come across many people in the church whose visual concept and expectation about what heaven is going to be is this reluctant consolation prize that I guess we have to settle for once our grandkids have grown and once we have gone and experienced as much of this world as we can and our youth has has eroded and our possessions have begun gun, um, eroding. And it's like, okay, God, I have lived all these years. And so now I guess I can go to heaven now if that's what you want, but it's not really what I want. I mean, we put all of these ideas and concepts all together. And it seems like what we are left with as it pertains to heaven is some kind of strange combination of this materialistic American utopia and Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I mean, we just have all kinds of outlandish ideas about what heaven is going to be like. Now, in our text where, where it says, as Jesus says, that, that in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Now, if you have a King James Version 
Really, the way that the King James Version reads here in John chapter 14 is that it says, In my Father's house there are many mansions. And as a result of this, we have hymns in our book like Mansions Over the Hilltop. And you know, I, I used to love Mansions Over the Hilltop. It's got this happy goat, you know, you know, has this very happy melody. And yet, somewhere along the way, though, I, I paid very close attention and I had really considered what those words are that, that I've been singing. And I began wondering, what have I been singing all my life? I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one that's silver lined. Now, the way that I hear that is, God, you have been kind of good to me in this world. You've given me just okay things, I guess. You've given me a, you know, an okay, decent job. You know, he gave me you know, a very small house. I mean, it's just okay. It's enough to get by, in other words. But when I die and when I go to heaven, buddy, let me tell you what, you better give me this, you better give me that, you owe me this and you owe me that. I mean, it is a, a song about heaven that never even mentions the name of Jesus in it. And yet the snapshot that this song is about heaven is me, 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 give 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 me. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. And to some degree, I can understand where the writer of that song had been coming from. It was right after World War II. And so I can see how comforting this may have been to a lot of people living in those days, very scary times, reminding them something greater is on the horizon. I can see his intentions. And yet, at the same time, it's very hard for me to ever sing that song because I don't feel like God owes me anything. How about you? You know, it's, it might be why we don't really sing songs like, like, like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot anymore. But a long time ago in the days of black slavery, this was such a beautiful idea and concept. If you were a slave, really the very idea of a chariot coming to take you home to glory and to reward. That was the most beautiful feeling in the world. And yet I think the reason why we don't really sing that song anymore is because we don't really understand it. Who needs a ride in a chariot when we have three cars in our driveway? Who needs a chariot when we have jets that can take us wherever we need to go within mere hours? And yet... Whatever our mental image and expectation of heaven, whatever our wildest dream tells us heaven is going to be like, it will be a zillion times greater than we could ever dream or imagine. And yet having said that though, what can we absolutely know for certain about what heaven is going to be like? Well, we can know with absolute certainty that heaven is a real actual place. That if we will we'll just continue living this Christian life day after day and, and living the way Christ wants us all to live and become Christ-like, one day we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servants. Heaven is a real, actual place.
We can also know that whoever comes to heaven one day, that the very first second that they spend there, they will never miss anything in this earth ever again. And that's because heaven is the place of no more. No more tears, Scripture says. No more pain. No more Satan. No more temptation. No more sin. Hey, how about this one? No more American politics. Oh my gosh. No more politics. I mean, I'm so happy hearing, that, hearing those words. I'm about to start crying. I, you know, I want that right now. God, Maranatha, right? Please come. Please come right now. We can know that heaven is a place where everybody who is there will be surrounded by, by the living God in all of his glory and that this place has no end. It is one endless day. Heaven has no end to it. It is eternal. And yet, understanding all of these things, there is still so much more about heaven that you and I can absolutely know for certain. Things that will change that very way that we wake up in the morning, that we, we you know, leave the door every single day because it is the kind of heaven that Jesus has in mind, that he is welcoming us to be a part of. And yet in order for us to do that, you and I need to reimagine heaven. Now, what we've seen in this series about the Bible in color is that it's good to read just, just, just you know, a verse or two at a time. But we don't really understand exactly fully what that's saying unless we, we establish what the historical context is of these passages. And so when we go to these passages, like, like here in John chapter 14, 1 through 3, we also need to go up and read what has come before this. What has come after this? Now, going back to our text in verse 1, as Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Really, what the context is, is Jesus has just established his Lord's Supper. He has just washed his apostles' feet. And yet then, though, Jesus drops bombshells on everybody in this room except for one man says that there is one of you in this room who is going to betray me very, very soon. And yet then he also drops another bombshell in chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you that where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus has just blindsided all of these guys, especially with that last statement. And they're just looking at each other like, he's abandoning us? You're going away? And so what Jesus is doing, just before everybody in the room begins to um, panic and to worry and to fear, is he is setting their hearts at ease. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Well, there in chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter has a question for Jesus. He says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered and said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. And so Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Chapter 14, Jesus is asked yet another question. Verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know what the way is? And this is the very context where, where Jesus then says something everyone in this room, everybody here can quote, where he says that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as Jesus says that in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, very interesting wordplay here. Now, as I said a moment ago, in the King James Version, also in the New King James Version, it says mansions. And it can mean mansions sometimes when this word makes an appearance, but, but really the main primary usage of this word it means tent. It means an abode that is not necessarily a mansion. And also very interesting in this text is, as Jesus says that, that I will go and prepare a place for you, Jesus uses a first century Jewish expression. How anytime that you were just about to get married, you were um, a man, you would go up to your bride and say more or less, I am going away to prepare a place for us. That where you are, I also might be. And we, were, and we will always be together in this home that I am preparing for us. And now Jesus is looking at, at his disciples. And he's saying that, that I'm going away. And I will go away and prepare a place for you that where you are, I also will be there, right there with you. And you know the way to where I am going. You see, I believe Jesus absolutely has heaven in mind as he says this. But I believe there is something so much bigger, so much more important that Jesus is emphasizing. Notice how Jesus goes on and he elaborates in this context. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says that I will ask of the Father and he will give another helper that he may be with you. Notice, forever with you. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you. Notice, and he will be in you. Verse 23, he says that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Notice, and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our, notice, abode with him. And just let me remind us that what we saw two weeks ago is that we ourselves are, are God's temples of his Holy Spirit. What we saw just last week is that every one of us as Christians, we are the house of the Lord. What if Jesus is not emphasizing streets of gold or mansions over a hilltop or a magical Willy Wonka chocolate factory in the sky? But what Jesus is actually emphasizing here is that I will go and prepare a place. And the way that I will prepare this place is I will die on a cross. On the third day, I will rise up from the grave, and then the gift of my Holy Spirit will come into you. What if what Jesus really means when he says this primarily, in addition to heaven one day, visibly, literally, is that I will be moving into you? What if Jesus is really saying here that you yourselves will be my many dwelling places here upon the earth? 
in addition to this visible kingdom that I'm in right now. That as his living temples, where he dwells within us, where, where he's made his home, you and me and every Christ follower on the face of this earth is a dwelling place of the divine. Who are to bring glimpses of the kingdom of heaven here to a broken world ravaged by, by sin and by darkness. Never to be apart from him, Jesus says. And now there is a sense where his throne literally is not located in this world. His kingdom, he says, is not of this world. We all understand this. And yet there's this whole other sense, this whole other atmosphere, where at least the very spirit and the essence of his kingdom, it is right here in our own midst. It is right here in front of us. And guess what, my friends? It is right here within you, and it's right here within me. I've come across many, many people throughout the years in the church who the only reason why they had been baptized was not to really live the Christian life or to walk with Jesus every day. It was simply because they wanted to go to heaven one day and to not wind up in hell. And that's, that's what it was all about for them. And yet Jesus is inviting us to, to follow him into something so much more beautiful, so much more intimate, so much deeper and greater than simply waiting around so that we can die and go to heaven one day. And a song that I would so much rather sing to Jesus or to pray to Jesus is something like this. Lord, I don't want a mansion over a hilltop. I don't demand a mansion over a hilltop. You don't owe me a mansion over a hilltop. You are, you are my mansion. You are my anthem. And in your presence is heaven. I don't want a robe and a crown. I don't demand the robe and a crown. You don't owe me a robe and a crown. You are my robe, my only hope. Being clothed in you, that's what is heaven to me. I don't want gold streets and precious stones. I don't demand gold streets and precious stones. You don't owe me gold streets and precious stones. You are my gold. You save my soul. And being your living stone is heaven. A mansion though may be, a robe and a crown, though may be, gold and stones, though may be, nevertheless, you are heaven to me. When we catch our very first glimpse of Jesus, when these earth-weary eyes of ours open for the very first time in his paradise, and we see his face and we hear his voice calling out our name, brothers and sisters, that will be what makes heaven heaven. Everything else is just the cherry on the top. Heaven is not about door prizes or about party favors. Heaven is about the host of that party. Heaven is all about bringing that party down here and just popping the cork effervescently and sharing it with every single person who we come into contact with. Many years ago, a man in this church 
had learned that his mother and his father had both just been killed in a car crash. And there was a teenager in this same church at that time who gave him this handmade musical mobile that she had made with her own hands. And I mean, all of these years later, to this day, every time that he opens up this musical mobile and he hears that, that song playing, what wells deep inside of his heart is this deep joy and is this warmth, even in the midst of his pain. That's because what she gave him is such a treasure, is such a loving, caring gesture saying, I love you. I care about your pain. My brothers and sisters, that is the kingdom of heaven coming down into this earth. Heaven is feeding and clothing a homeless person when there is no one else in the world who knows what we just did for that person. Heaven is feeling deep gratitude and deep joy even when our checking account has overdrawn. And all we have to eat that night are, are just ice cubes. Heaven is when a church fills shoeboxes with toys and with gifts for many children who don't really smile so that maybe now they can smile. Heaven is looking at our absolute worst enemy. And no matter what they have done to us, rather than, than retaliating and getting even with them, we actually start forgiving that person. Anytime that we even see that person, anytime that we even hear their names as other people speak about them, we feel a love in our hearts for that person as if they were our own mother or our very closest friend. Heaven is when a group of people coming from vastly different generations and ethnicities and political persuasions learn to live together as a family who loves each other. You see, the spirit of heaven can and will be right here in front of us if we unleash it in this world. And my favorite minister, Brad Nelson, he says it like this. He says that when we dare live that way, you are actually bringing heaven here. And anyone who have, who have eyes with which to see will be like, there it is. That's it. I just saw a glimpse of heaven and it is right here in front of me. I also like how another writer, Scott McKnight, he, he expresses this. He says that, that as Jesus uses that word kingdom, Jesus does not mean just one day at the very end of our lives, but primarily what Jesus means by that word kingdom is God's dream society in this earth, in this life. My friends, when we truly embody the um, hearts and the character of Jesus Christ like a child. We do so much more than that. We unleash God's dream society. And we give people in this world a glimpse, even if it is just a kaleidoscopic glimpse, nevertheless, we give them a glimpse into heaven itself. And so what does it look like for you and for me to give this world a glimpse of heaven? as we live with, with heaven in our hearts. Well, I saw this video clip of a mother in China. And of course, in China, there is a one-child limit in, 
everywhere except for, for a farm, more or less. And so many people want a boy if they ever um, are going to conceive. Please let it be a boy. But, but as a result of this, there, there are many girls in China who are just abandoned simply because they, they were not a boy. Well, there is one mother, though, who deeply regrets abandoning her daughter all those years ago, spends all of these, these years regretting it. Well, she arranges for, for her daughter to then come and to meet her in China. And as you might imagine, as she catches her very first glimpse of her daughter for the very first time, she begins wailing at the top of her lungs, finally, I have seen you. Finally, I have seen you. And then she begins sobbing on her daughter's neck. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you. Finally, I have seen you. And what washes over me as I see something like that is one day, if we will remain faithful to Jesus, one day that will be us in Jesus. When our faith has become sight, finally, we have seen you. Finally, we have seen you. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. Finally, I can see you, Jesus. And yet Jesus wants so much more than that for us. I believe Jesus, more than anything, wants us to live in such a way that we encounter broken people in this world, people who have been burned by a church, by religion, and, and many times giving a false concept about who Jesus is, thinking God hates them. But when they see the real thing, something wells up in their soul. Finally, I have seen the kingdom of heaven. Finally, I can see that Jesus Christ really is the love of this world. Finally, I have seen the real thing. And that's what happens when we live with God in us. When we unleash heaven on this world. And we unveil it for, for, for all to see. My friends, there is so much more to heaven than sitting on a cloud and beating the fire out of a harp. It is not a chocolate factory in the sky. It is not a materialistic American utopia. It is not, not some consolation prize that we reluctantly have to um, settle for. Don't be dragged kicking and screaming out of this world. Love is appearing. Let's unleash his dream society. And let's believe and let's trust that, that He and His kingdom, they are right here within us. All we got to do is unleash it.